Good morning, church. And yeah, if you're online, you may notice some more Christmas decorations than you saw last week. We realized that um, I talked to a few people who were like, you guys were kind of referring to that, but I don't know, it, was, it didn't look like there was much. And, uh, you know, the camera, as you guys, a lot of you know from watching online, you know, we generally zoom it in pretty far so you guys can kind of see actually, you know, the band and, and the, the speaker and the screen pretty clearly and stuff like that. But... Um, but on the downside, we realized, like, you couldn't see any of the decorations, so we zoomed out this, this week. So if you're watching online and you're like, oh, look at all that. That was up last week. That was all the stuff. When I said everything is hung up by pipe cleaners, like old pipe cleaners, like, that's what I'm talking about. And that's the thing we're all nervous about. So we'll see if you could keep praying for it. It hung in there, but um, literally. But um, the, uh, you know, and hey, also, as... As a gift idea, as Matt was saying this, I was thinking like, you know, sometimes, occasionally, once or twice, sarcasm might work its way into some of our, our stuff. And, 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 but, uh, you know, in all seriousness, uh, I have a lot of friends who, who bought for people uh, the scripture journals that we, that we get here each time we go through a series. You could buy a whole set of them, and they're not that expensive, and it's actually a pretty cool gift to give somebody because uh, it's the Bible, but you can write in it, you know? And it's like I always say, you know, the only thing... The only thing it's missing is more of my thoughts, you know. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a great gift idea to give people. There's like a lot of really cool different journaling versions of the Bible that, that are out there that you can gift to people and uh, just as they go through it, you know, at one point. So, you know, consider that. Just buy the whole set because I'll tell you what, we're probably going to keep going through books of the Bible. Um, and as we do, we might keep getting these. So look at that. You'll just save yourself some money and some time. Um, okay, so... This morning, we are talking about joy. And as Ellie read um, the, uh, that passage um, on the birth of Christ, she read, oh, these, are the, these were the slides that we were going to put up for that. Um, so let me, here, all right. When they saw the star, it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And this word is one that appears so many times throughout the Bible, in the Old and the New Testament. You know, uh, the idea of joy, of happiness, is a vital one for us. In fact, all of the things that we talk about when we talk about Advent, each one of these ideas, these words, these, these concepts... It's actually something that every week as we sit down to look at them anew, we realize that like even from a purely non-spiritual standpoint, people would say that these are things that are fundamental for sort of healthy human survival and flourishing. The idea of living with hope, the idea of living with peace, the idea of living with joy or how we would refer to it often as simply happiness. That, that, that those things are crucial, even for those who would say that they don't believe in God and they don't think that this season is one that really uh, is about something other than our own experience on this earth and this life that we're living, this one chance that we sort of get that's random and exists. One of the things that I have come to learn over the last few years is the difference between my children in the morning of a school day and in the morning of a non-school day. And this is something that I thought would come later, 
because, I don't know, I, I guess I thought everything would come later, except for all the stuff that came too early, like, uh, or, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I thought it would come later. I thought everything would come later. I thought, I thought the baby getting out of the crib would come later, and then I just woke up, and there he was, uh, staring at me, and I was like, well, I don't know how many of you that was how it went, but I was talking to Justin about this recently. We were talking about, like, you know, when do you start, you know, worrying about it, and this whole, we have this whole long, like, conversation about, like, is it true that if they're old enough to climb out, that they're old enough to land um, safely, or do you really need to worry about that? I, I built up the crib. Like, I, I, uh, I actually built up the size of the crib with a couple of boards. Not, nothing crazy, but just a few because it was way too early for us to deal with it. It was like we cannot possibly imagine getting that to stay in that when you thought about a bed, right? And that was where someone gave me the greatest parenting hack I will ever have received, which is to buy a door and to cut it in half and to just shut the bottom half of the door and leave the top half open. And then you don't quite feel so bad, you know, like you're not actually saying you're locked in your room because it basically becomes one big crib is what their room becomes, you know. And so all of these things that have come too soon, I would say I expected like the grumpy teenager rolling out of bed. I did not expect the grumpy seven and six-year-olds because they're never slow to get up and get out of bed. But the craziest thing happened was as soon as they adjusted to having to go to school, to getting to go to school, I thought, they became so good at sleeping in. And each morning, I would go into their rooms, and then more and more, it would get worse. They would just not even, I mean, the deepest sleep that you could imagine. No desire whatsoever to get up. No desire to get out of bed. No desire to put on clothes. Oh, no. No desire to do anything other than just take it as easy as possible and have a nice, relaxing, calm morning. And there is nothing like a Saturday morning to see the energy that can just shoot out of my kids' eyes at like 5.30 in the morning. And so, of course, summertime is when it gets light. It stays light, right? Summertime is when they pop out of bed despite all of the best blackout curtain inventions that you could come up with. And this is something that uh, is incredibly, like, difficult to deal with. And yet it's so interesting that we all know this feeling of waking up and being like, what's today? Oh, yeah. Instead of waking up and what's today? This is the one day that they let me watch TV in the morning. And I'll just say that, and you can believe that about me as a parent. Um, and, and, and I'm out of bed, and I'm up, and this day is going to happen. I'm going to grab it by the reins, and I'm going to make it mine, right? I'm going to suck the life, the marrow out of this fine day. I'm going to smell the flowers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to dance around every square foot of the house and my parents' physical bodies while they're still laying in bed. Because that's another thing that I thought was just in movies. Kids jumping on you while you're asleep. That isn't just in movies. That's a real thing that they do. And there's no purpose for it other than just making you wake up because it's such an exciting day for them. There is something about uh, waking up and thinking, if this day is not a day 
that will be filled with happiness, then I don't want to live it. And as we get older, we'd like to think our expectations change. They get more realistic, right? It doesn't have to be filled with happiness. Maybe just one thing that makes me happy, that, that, is, that is enjoyable, that is fun, right? Even though I know I've got to do the things that I need to do as a, as a grown-up to make life happen, and life's always not, not always going to be fun. But it is true that the possibility of living out a day knowing it may not be a fun day, it may not be a day filled with things that make me happy, is very different. And for my kids, it is really that simple. If there's school today... This isn't the happy fun day, and I don't really want to get up for it. And if it's a day without that, then I'm going to get up, and I'm going to enjoy it, and it's going to be, oh, the screen went out. Oh, well. Well, it's so small, you guys probably don't notice when that happens, huh? So, uh, good. At least now I'll know for sure that I'm on the right slide, right? Uh, This will be the most flawless slideshow we've ever had. Um, I say that because when we talk about joy and we talk about happiness, I think that it's easy to underestimate how much we long for this thing and sadly how much so many of us have given up on hoping for it. There is something fundamentally important about the idea of a life that can be enjoyable, a life that can make us happy and that can fill us with joy. And if we don't experience that, if we don't think we have a chance to experience that, our outlook on everything will be radically different. This is why the Bible is so filled with this word, joy, and this idea of happiness, because this is a vital thing for all people. What good is a life that is not a happy life? This is the question. There are some who are born into hard circumstances, some who are born with disabilities and with what feels like strikes already against their opportunity to be happy. I think we got a thumbs up. We're going to get the screen back. And against the opportunity to be happy, and there's something about that, that feeling that I won't have the opportunity even to enjoy a happy life, a a pleasant life that I could have had that seems so wrong to us and so unjust to us because of how much we want this thing. Uh, there's a passage that I want to uh, read briefly in, uh, in Scripture. It is in John chapter 16, and it is where Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he is praying, and he is, uh, it, is, it is one of the just most powerful few chapters, portions of Scripture in absolutely the New Testament, because it is Jesus really giving his last thoughts before going to the cross. And one of the things that he says to his disciples in John 16, verses 20 through 24, is he's explaining to them that he's going to leave, and then he's going to, but he is going to be back, and that it's going to be hard, but it is going to be worth it. And he says this to them in verse 20. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Here, Jesus is trying to explain something that is incredibly complicated to the disciples, and they don't get it at all, which is pretty understandable. Uh, most scholars who have, who have studied this text will agree that what Jesus is talking about is not his return after death on the cross, his, his resurrection there, but the ultimate resurrection that will happen. There is a concept in, in, Hebrew, in, in Hebrew culture and in the Old Testament that we see throughout, which is the idea that time is divided sort of into two big chunks. One is the world now, the life now, and one is the world that is to come. One is the world and one is the heavens. One is what we're in and what is what we will eventually experience. And the idea is that there's something that will happen in between there, and that thing that will happen uh, will change everything. It will usher in one from the other. Uh, the idea, the understanding of it is that this world is filled with pain. It has got pain as a part of it. And yet, in the world that is to come, in the life that is to come, we will not experience that thing. And because of that, um, the description that is most often used to describe what that change will be like is childbirth. It's used again and again because it is a perfect description of what will happen. It is a perfect description of what it is like to experience great pain and to ultimately have that pain lead to joy. Have it lead to something that is fundamentally joyful. As this is talked about again and again in the Old Testament, Jesus uses this example with his disciples, to, and it's how we know that he's talking about really that great day of joy that will come for all of us when our joy will be fully complete and our joy cannot be taken from us and we will experience fullness in all things. This is really good news. This is incredibly good news. Now, there are some throughout the history of the church who have taken this, and it's actually understandable that there have even been heresies that have formed around the idea of like Gnosticism, which is that this world is so corrupt and evil that literally anything physical at all is bad, and anything related to the body or this experience in this life is evil and wrong, and we have to kind of rid ourselves of that entirely, uh, and only spiritual can be good. Um, but we understand where that extreme might creep in if the church isn't careful because of the pain that we experience in this life. And Jesus says to his disciples that I am going to leave and it's going to be hard and you won't understand why I'm having to go through what I'm having to go through. And we know this is true. We know that for a follower of Jesus, that there is nothing more disorienting than watching him be arrested and crucified because it feels as though he has lost. It feels as though the enemies have won, and it makes no sense how God could still be God and be in control, that this ultimately, more than anything, could still have been the Messiah. But Jesus says, that isn't the end. He says, I will return, and when I do, evil will be defeated, death will be defeated, joy will be full, and you will have it forever. He says, there is good news in this, and understandably, they have a really hard time wrapping their mind around what he's saying. 
Now, if you, we've been doing some really fancy and hopefully impressive language studies over the last few weeks, and this week is going to absolutely blow your mind. Because the word joy, when literally translated, comes from the Greek word chara, which means a state of joy. How, how helpful is that, right? Like, how much have I blown your mind and expanded your understanding of what this word means? It comes from an ancient concept of joy. It comes from this old idea of being happy. Uh, it's that simple. There isn't a lot of depth to this concept, as opposed to something like shalom, something like peace, something like even this concept of shalem, as Pastor Matt talked about last week, which is not a word that he made up, even though, you know, I was like, are you sure that's not a word you made up? But he didn't. It's a real one. That there are these words that have like these really deep meanings and the roots of them and the history and the origin of them tell us so much about what is meant by this concept. Here, it's very simple. When joy is used throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, it is interchangeably used with happiness and it is almost always accompanied with singing. It is almost always accompanied with uh, joyful singing. In fact, the word uh, rejoice comes from the word joy, and that word is used interchangeably in through all different translations to like, mean either singing or just being joyful and being happy. Because it's assumed that someone who is truly joyful is someone who is rejoicing, who is singing. In a number of languages, joy is expressed how we would say idiomatically. And what that means is it's expressed through these very physically acted out descriptions. Uh, my heart leapt with joy. I danced with joy. These are, well, dance with joy is a literal thing that could happen. But the idea of your heart leaping with joy, like I'm not sure if that's a good thing, right? If that's something that's supposed to be happening. It's not. It's not necessarily a good thing for your heart to leap in your chest. Um, but this idea of like my mouth sung with joy, my heart shouts because I'm happy, it is dancing. Uh, these are things that we use to try to describe what this feeling is like because it's so much bigger than just, eh, I wasn't sad. There's so much more depth to it. It changes everything for us. And the truth is that Christians are, uh, at least we believe, the people who are supposed to be the most filled with joy, right? Uh, if you follow Jesus, then it seems like the promise is that your life will be filled with joy. We're supposed to be the people who are rejoicing, the people who are joyful, the people who are happy. And yet many who experience life as a Christian would say that... Uh, it's a struggle, just like it is uh, living a life in which they're not following Jesus. I don't feel that constant sense of joy. I don't feel that constant sense of happiness. I don't feel the things that I read about in the Bible, and I wonder, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my life? Why is it that I don't feel the joy? You, today, this year, this month, this week, as we talk about this, we cannot help but ask ourselves, um, is my life filled with joy? Am I joyful? Where is my joy? And for many of us, it's like, oh, I know it because I'm feeling it, and I just finished singing to God out of joy and rejoicing him. And for many others, it is, I don't know where it is. I don't know where the joy is. I don't know where the happiness is. All I know is that when I get up in the morning, sometimes even, it, it feels kind of like a school day every day because I go, this is a day that I need to do the hard thing, but not necessarily a day when I know that I'm going to rejoice. 
What the Bible teaches us about joy is that it doesn't just happen to us. The truth is that joy is uh, connected to this concept that we talked about in our first week of Advent called hope. And the truth is that it is true that uh, when you are around a group of believers, you should experience something there that you don't around people who don't believe in and follow Jesus. I was talking to someone this week about, uh, about how different it is to go to a funeral for someone who was a believer, or even just when the family and those that speak and share and those that put on the funeral and the memorial service are believers. There is such a difference between the, the memorial services that I've been to here and the sense of hopefulness and joy. Now, the thing about mourning and grieving and someone being lost is that it is, objectively speaking, a sad time. It is a hard time. And yet, a room full of Christians can experience this objectively difficult thing that we wish didn't happen and would never feel differently than that with joy, with hope, with a sense that this thing isn't ultimately defeating us. And that is profoundly different from experiencing something like that with a room full of people who do not have that. We were talking about uh, funerals because we were talking about this year and about how, uh, uh, about how as a hard year 2020 has been, as I went out to take some um, family photos yesterday and realized pulling up that I had forgotten the nice shirt, which I got some use out of. I'm wearing it now. But I left it in the dryer and forgot to bring the jacket, and it was 40 degrees. So uh, I was wearing a T-shirt, and it was freezing cold. And it was like, just let's just go with it because it's 2020, you know? Like, that's what the pictures will say, and that'll be honest, right? In a year like this that has been really difficult for all, is it not true that, that Christians should be a people who experience this with a greater sense of hope and joy. Not feeling defeated by what is happening, but ultimately saying, I know that there's hope in this thing. You see, joy is something that is experienced when it is connected with this thing called hope. When I go to a funeral, there is hope that the people have in the resurrection of the dead, and thus joy that this person will live on one day. There is hope that God is in control, meaning this person's life was not a random thing that happened and their death is equally not random and pointless. We have hope in so many different aspects of what we experience that we are able to experience it with joy. But joy is not something that just happens. It is something that we adopt. Joy is an attitude that is adopted by a believer as a result of the hope that they have in Christ. Because of the hope that we have in Christ, we can, we can adopt this feeling of joy. Now, this word adopt, which means to choose something, uh, we most often associate it with children and having children or the idea of adopting someone into a family. And our understanding of it is that there are people who like would have uh, children biologically and then those who would adopt children into their family. And one is maybe one that you don't, uh, and if the word adopt, which you look it up in the dictionary and it means to choose, adopt means to choose, to choose, 
then if that word is literally true, then it means what? That you, that you chose uh, these, but you didn't choose these, right? I mean, I guess you could, you know, you could, you could say that, you know. Well, I didn't, I didn't, I, I chose this child intentionally, but I didn't choose this one. Now, now the fact is, uh, that's like a basic understanding of what it means. And we would say, like, hey, I, if you have children that you didn't plan on having, that surprised you was a blessing from the Lord, a blessing from the Lord, but you didn't plan on, then it's easy to think of it as like, well, that wasn't a choice, that was something that happened. Whereas, like, to adopt someone into my family is a choice that I make. But the truth is that um, to be a parent and to bring someone into a family is always a choice. We, we, we apply... Uh, our understanding of this thing in a wrong way so much of the time. We basically, uh, there are a lot of things in life that we think just happen to us, but we actually choose. And they cannot happen if we don't choose, because the truth is, as a parent, you can put a roof and, uh, over a child's head, and you can put food in their belly, and you can still not have chosen to be a parent to that child and to bring them into your family and bring them into your hearts. You can, uh, you can provide uh, like supervision and structure and discipline for a child and still not actually stop and make the choice to choose to love that child and to be a parent. Sadly, in our country today, there are so many children that live in homes, in families, with parents that, that, that gave birth to them with parents who have not chosen them, who have not chosen to be a parent to them. We all choose with all the kids that we have. We, we choose whether biologically birthed or whether adopted. Uh, we choose them and say, I will be yours and you will be mine. I will bring you into my home and my heart and my life and my family and if we, cho- if we don't make that choice, then they might have a person giving them supervision, they might have a person feeding them, they might have a person fulfilling the obligations as laid out by the law of the land, but they do not have a parent. They do not have someone who has adopted them into their heart. Courage isn't a thing that just happens to you. Courage is a thing that you choose when facing situation with fear. Courage cannot exist without fear. We think of courage as something that maybe just happens to people who never experience fear as a result, but it doesn't work that way. We choose it. I want joy to just happen to me. I want to wake up and I want to just feel it. I want to look at my life and just say joy is there whether I choose it or not. But the truth is that joy does not just happen to us. We choose joy. Joy is something that we choose to have in our life. And we really wish that this wasn't true. We really wish that we could experience, uh, and really this is where joy and happiness part ways as we define them. Because I do think that the way that we describe happiness, the way that we think of happiness, which is much more of a sort of a fleeting sense of pleasure or fulfillment that is based on the circumstances of our life, we want happiness. Happiness is something that happens because the circumstances are easy and pleasurable, and I don't have to make it happen, but it's also fleeting. Joy is something that I choose 
When do we choose joy? When is the believer, the person who has hope in Jesus, supposed to choose joy? This is where it gets a little scary. Always. We are, the Bible tells us, always able to choose joy. To choose to have joy. We have a choice to make every day of our lives, one that is lived with joy of the Lord. And many of us are reaping the benefits of this already, and that can be seen from miles away, and others have not made this choice. We have a choice that we make every day, and that choice is, will I rejoice in the Lord? Will I take joy in the hope that I have in Jesus, or we do not choose that? And for those who make that decision, that choice consciously each and every day, they have learned that that is not a choice that they make based on their circumstances. And as a result, when they go through times that are difficult, especially, that joy remains. Why can a Christian rejoice at a funeral? Because a Christian chooses joy before the funeral. And so it doesn't change at the funeral. And why is it so hard to do? when you're not a believer in Jesus, because you haven't chosen joy before that. And so how do you choose joy then? You're out of practice. You don't even know what that choice feels like to make. The holidays are a time that everyone looks forward to, because this is the time of the year when happiness just happens. We're like, let's get all the good stuff going, right? Let's get all of our favorite things, and let's just make this the warmest, fuzziest, happiest time of the year. And we'll experience the joy that comes with the season. But when we talk about joy here, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about a happiness that comes from all of the stuff going on, even from all of these decorations that bring us a sense of of, of warmth and happiness and familiarity. We're talking about something that we choose. And the reason we choose at this time of the year is because of what we remember, what we focus on this time of the year, which is the source of the joy. One of the things about joy that is hard in the choice is this. Joy doesn't come from our circumstances. It isn't based on our circumstances. Circumstances don't produce joy. If you want proof of this, take a child on vacation and spoil them rotten and they may not still not be joyful. We, we, uh, we downloaded the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, on our first big family vacation because we were having some happiness issues on this vacation. It seemed almost like the more that everybody got exactly what they wanted, the less joy we felt like we were seeing and experiencing from, uh, from our kids. If joy really comes from circumstances, that would not be our experience. We know that it isn't based on these things, although we spend so much of our life trying to ensure lives that will give us happiness and joy because it seems more predictable that way, and we feel more in control that way, even though we're anything but. This is, we will pursue lives after things, like wealth and comfort and relationships with people that fulfill us. We will pursue families. We will pursue jobs and ambitions and goals. We will pursue things because we believe they will give us this sense of happiness and joy. 
but that's not how it works because it isn't based on our circumstances. And many don't realize this until they receive the thing that they've been pursuing for so long and realize that it didn't actually give them what they thought it would, that the happiness was fleeting, that the thing wasn't as good as they thought. Joy is not based on our circumstances. We know this from what we read about in the Bible, too. The Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, and they were saved from the Lord, and they came out of this bondage and slavery, and they were wandering through the desert with no promised land in sight, it says that the first thing they did was they rejoiced in the Lord. They rejoiced because of the promised land, because of the promise that it happened. And like we've talked about with hope and with peace, this thing, joy, is based on what we know about what will come. And what helps us in trusting that is what has already happened. God has given me reason to hope up till now, and so I can hope for the future. And my hope for the future is what gives me joy. We read in in Psalms, um, as the psalmist reflects back on the Israelites being in the desert and wandering in the desert and all of the turbulation that came with that, says this, So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, which is translated joyful shouts. And he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil. This, he sang, they came out, he brought his people out of the desert, the 40 years of wandering, the 40 years of difficulty, the 40 years of hard circumstances that would not produce joy in the way that we think of it. And yet it says he brought them out with joy. Why? Because of what they looked ahead to. Joy is something that is adopted based on the hope that we have and the thing that we know God will do based on what we've already even seen God do. We know joy isn't based on circumstances because we see accounts of it throughout the Bible and when it happens, it doesn't happen in the midst usually of great times. People experience joy in the midst of really difficult things. If joy isn't something that we choose based on circumstances, it is something that comes from our hope. Your joy does not come from your circumstances, it comes from your hope. It is based on that thing. We also read in Philippians 4, 4 through 6, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand says Paul. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Because joy is based on hope, this year we can choose joy, even in the midst of hardship. This year is a unique one for so many Because we talk every single year about how, you know, the reason for the season isn't all the other stuff out there. So on a year when so much of that stuff is taken away, are Christians lamenting? Or are Christians the ones who in that year can still choose joy, who set the tone for what joy is, and are the ones who say, we do not base how we feel how we approach life on our circumstances. 
We base it on the hope that we have in Jesus, and that gives us the ability to be the people who will choose joy. When Paul talks about joy, he talks about it in the midst of suffering. He talks about it in the midst of even lament and mourning. But he still manages to find joy. God brought his people out with joy and thanksgiving. Paul says that we're to rejoice in the Lord and that we are to live without anxiousness. Why? Because the Lord is here, because the Lord is at hand. And this, this statement that, that the Lord is at hand, we were, we were talking about, um, we were having a lunch with Pastor Sue um, as we were kind of celebrating her and um, trying to do that in the midst of this time even, and with the staff, and we were all talking about sort of our, some of our, our basically our high points with Sue, you know, like, is, and, and what are some of the things that we appreciate most about her, and one of the things that uh, Pastor Justin said, which I think everybody resonated with, was he said, in the, in the few years that I've been here at this church and the time that I've known them, he said, it's very hard for me now. I have to like, it's almost like I'm trying to stop myself from when I talk about having faith and I talk about having joy and I talk about what that really looks like in a very real way. He said, I have like, it's almost like I have to stop myself from thinking of saying Sue and Brent, Sue and Brent, Sue and Brent, as Sue was going through um, and Brent, um, her husband who's passed away, uh, was dealing with his diagnosis of ALS and ultimately passed away from that. And Justin was like, I just, I feel like I have to like catch myself. Oh, I can't, I can't just talk about them. I can't just keep talking about them. But we all were, were agreeing with that because there, uh, and I myself remember specifically when I myself was dealing with anxiety and I was talking to Sue who was going through some hard times and, and said to me, she said, uh, the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand. She said, she reminded me that this passage says to rejoice always and not to be anxious, but our only reason given in the passage for not being anxious, the only reason given to justify our lack of fear and our, our, our ability to be reasonable still in the midst of difficulty in life, our only reason given is the Lord is near or the Lord is at hand. God has not been taken away from us. The nearness of God has not been taken away from us. Those of you who are at home, who are watching this on a TV screen, who are lamenting and mourning the fact that you cannot be here with us in person, uh, He is near. And that is the reason that we can choose joy. It's one thing to hear that from a person whose life is going well. It's another thing to hear that from Sue. And for her to say to me, that is what I'm doing and that is what I'm choosing. As we know when we walk through that season of life with them, it is so profoundly true that those who really live this out, who minister it with their lives, prove the math. Like we often say, sometimes the Bible seems full of really bad math things that don't seem to add up, you know, two plus two equals five, and, you know, if you give something, you'll actually have more later on. What? How does that work, right? And yet, it's when we see it lived out in the lives of people that we see that the math really does add up, that we see that people can suffer and still experience a more profound sense of joy and hope than those whose joy and hope come from circumstances, 
that are fleeting. I am here to say to us as a church, to you here, to you at home, to myself, I am here to say that we, even though we struggle and even though life is difficult at times, even though you may wake up and feel like you don't know where the joy went, but it certainly doesn't come flooding back to you, we can have joy. Nothing has been taken away from us that can keep us from experiencing in complete fullness the hope and the joy that comes from Christ because it is one that we adopt. It is one that we bring upon ourselves and we do it based on something that God has already shown us and something he has promised for the future. The only way to respond to this is to sing. The only way to respond to this is to rejoice in the Lord as our hearts sing. And so as we worship this morning, some of you lament and you mourn. And yet, in the midst of that, you can rejoice in the Lord. And I encourage you to choose to do that. I encourage you to tell one another nicely, gently, sensitively, when things are hard and the complaints come and the, and the pity and, the, and, the, and, and all those things that come in, creep in, that they can choose joy. We can choose joy. There is nothing that has happened that has taken away our ability to do that. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, there are those who are hearing this right now, those who are here and those who are at home and those who are watching a computer screen who don't quite understand how we can experience joy like this, and that's because they haven't trusted you in their lives, Lord. Everything that we talk about when we talk about the things that are given to us in Christ is us talking about the gospel. And the gospel promises us, it tells us that it is not anything that we have done that causes you to love us. It is not our ability to impress you or our efforts to show you that we don't need you that has made you love us or accept us. That it is you alone and your goodness. And that is why we rejoice that the Savior has been born and we know that that leads to joy. Father, for those who are here right now, who are hearing this right now, for those who do not have that joy and are asking themselves why and the answer they know is the fact that they cannot trust in you and they cannot trust in Jesus because they never have, Lord. Would you help them to pray this now, God, to repeat these words after me and to pray and to receive you into their life and to be adopted by you into your family, Lord. God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that there exists in my heart sin, Father. 
I know that the problem with the world out there is not with everyone else and everything else. It's not with the government. It's not with disease. It is not with people who aren't nice enough. And it's not with poverty. And it's not with any of those things. The problem with the world is in the heart of each person. And I myself have that as well. God, would you forgive me for trying on my own? Would you forgive me for trying to depend on and pursuing things for happiness and joy instead of you, the creator who made me? And God, would you fill me with joy that is based on you and your promise, Lord? It is in your name that we pray. Amen.